Bibles today to the 11th chapter of the book of Romans, and beginning in verse 33. Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, and then turn back to the book of Psalms chapter 76 and verse 10. Two passages today. In our last setting, we discussed the subject of the wisdom of God in creation. And today we're going to be discussing the subject of the wisdom of God in providence, or in his governing his creation. This will be the 26th message in the series of sermons on the whole counsel of God. So we want to focus our attention again on the subject, the wisdom of God, but seen in a different way now, not from his creation as we discussed last Sunday, but now let us look at the wisdom of God in the governing of his creation. Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. Paul concludes a thought which he has been on for several chapters here in writing to the church at Rome with these words. All the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him... Through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Last week we discussed the phrase of him, that is, God in creation. Today we're going to take this term, through him. And then next week, to him are all things. God is infinitely wise in his governing of his creation. Now let's go back to Psalm chapter 76 and verse 10. Psalm 76 and verse 10. Listen carefully to this text because I think it is important to go with our thoughts that we'll be delivering unto you today. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shall thou restrain. Now we want to deal with this question after having set forth that God was infinitely wise in creating the heavens and the earth and all things therein that he did not cease to be wise in the governing or ruling of his creation. And I think this is most important that we understand this subject today, because the Lord willing, next Sunday we'll be discussing the subject of the wisdom of God in redemption. But we want to deal with this question now to tie these two subjects together. Last Sunday, God created. Now today his governing of his creation, and it involves the question of what has happened to the creation of God. We know that sin has entered into the picture. Was there wisdom in God in permitting sin to enter into his creation? Or did God create the world only to be outwitted by Satan and to have the control of the world taken from him. Now, it's most important that we understand this before we ever have a grasp on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nearly every person that believes in the existence of God will acknowledge that God was wise in creating. But now we want to deal with the most sticky question, if we can turn that, and that is, how can we account for sin existing in the creation? Either God did not have the ability to prevent sin from occurring, or else he didn't have the wisdom, 
or else he has both the power and the wisdom over sin. So we want to follow this thought through. Did God create the world only to be outwitted by Satan and to have Satan come along and take the world out of control of God and now then there's some other force in the universe that's governing what's happening in our lives other than God Almighty. Now we want to deal, first of all, with some texts which establish that the government of God is still with God. That is, when God created the world and then sin entered into it, it did not catch God off guard. But that the very fact that sin entered into the world was but a fulfilling of part of his eternal wisdom. And we want to show that the government of God, God is still ruling in the world. He has not forfeited his right to be God. God cannot cease from being God. And God is sovereign. God is overall. And he has not turned over the rulership of his creation to Satan or to man. He's still in control. I want to read to you several passages of Scripture. I would appreciate it if instead of turning there with me and maybe being distracted uh, and going from verse to verse, if you might listen carefully as we read these verses in rather success, uh, succession so that we might get them completed. Now, this will be text that will establish that God is in control of his universe. That is, he's even controlling sin that's existing in the universe. Psalm chapter 115, verse 3, quote, Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. We're seeing this week in Osceola the power of man to divert the channel of a river. And the Bible says that men's hearts are in the hand of God, and he turns them whithersoever he wills. God did not create his creation and then turn it over to man. He is still in control of his creation. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. There's your mistake, okay? <laughs> Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4. The Lord hath made all things for himself. Listen, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. God, in his infinite wisdom in creation, he has even revealed this wisdom in creating the wicked for the day of judgment. So that sin in the universe, is not something that is going unrestrained by God, but it is serving a function and a purpose of an infinitely wise God. Again, surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. That is, God shall even get praise from the wrath and the sin of men. He'll even turn that around where it shall praise him in wisdom. And then the remainder of that wrath or that sin, God shall restrain. God, by his power, has the authority to restrain sin in your life and mine. Or else he may let that sin run from its fountain and even turn that around to praise his own name. Now, that's wisdom. You and I cannot do that. 
We cannot reason then, shall we then sin, that grace may abound, but God is, or shall we do evil, that good may come, but God is able to bring good out of evil. And God is able to bring forth grace out of sin. Now then, we want us to, to look at having established the fact that God is still in control of his universe. He has not forfeited it to Satan or to man for a period of time in which then he will take over sometime in the future. But he is in absolute control of all that's transpiring now. Is there wisdom in this? And first, we want to see the wisdom of God is seen in using the sins of men to carry out his very purposes. I want to state, first of all, before we give you several illustrations of this, that God is not the author of sin. That is, we do not charge God as being the author of sin. But yet at the same time, while God is not the author of sin, he is in control or the governor over sin. We might illustrate like this. Let's suppose I go out and I ride a horse that is lame. As I'm riding along, the movement of that horse is related to me. I'm controlling it, but the lameness comes from the horse. God is not the author of sin, but he rides over the sins of men. We might illustrate like this. When the sun shines on a dunghill, a foul odor comes forth. That odor comes not forth from the sun, but from the dunghill. But the sun shining on it brings forth the odor. And so when God, ruling over sinful men, he can control their sins by either restraining them or permitting them to run, but he's got a lease on them. And they go no further than what his purposes are in permitting them to occur. So that as we ride along now and see God governing over his creation, let's look at some of these examples of how that God even uses sin to carry out his purposes. The first account or illustration of this we'd invite your attention to would be in the Bible to the account of Joseph and his brethren in Egypt. How many of you remember that? Remember the account in the Bible? Joseph, his being sold into Egypt. We remember that when we find that when Joseph was born, after some years, he had a dream. And this dream was given to him by God. And in this dream, he saw which the, uh, a certain vision. And this vision was explained to him that one day all of his brethren and his father and so forth would come and they would bow before Joseph. So Joseph went out and told his brothers about this. And the natural heart of his sinful brothers rose up in anger against Joseph. And they became mad at Joseph. They never did like him. And so they began to devise ways of getting rid of Joseph. And one day they caught him out in the field and they said, We're going to get rid of you now. We're going to throw you in a pit. And that will be the end of you. They fought evil against Joseph. But about that time, a caravan came along that was going to Egypt. And one of the brothers had a change of heart. He said, well, wait a minute. Rather than killing him, let's get some money out of this. Let's sell him. Then we'll tell Dad that he was killed by a wild beast. So Joseph, their own flesh and blood, was sold into Egyptian bondage as a slave. They thought they'd seen the last of Joseph. The wrath of man was against Joseph. And yet as time went along, like Joseph, after many, many years, he was elevated 
from a dungeon in Egypt to the very throne of Egypt. They're ruling over with Pharaoh. And a drought came along in the land of promise, and Joseph's brethren had to come down to Egypt seeking for grain. Now I want to read to you from the 50th Psalm when these brothers came to Joseph, and after he had revealed himself to them that he was his brother, and after that they realized that they in their own sinfulness wanted to rid Joseph, I want us to see how Joseph explained the whole situation. In Genesis chapter 50 and verse 17, the brothers say, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespasses of the the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake to him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? Now listen carefully. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Those brethren, years before, out of their own heart of wrath and enmity and jealousy against Joseph, in that they freely did what they wanted to do, And yet, their sin was being ruled over by the infinite, wise God to bring good out of that sin. I say that is a marvel of the wisdom of God when we see God able to control and to bring to pass His purposes even through the use of human sinful instruments. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God's on the horse. The horse is lame. Man is a sinner. God is riding in control of man. And every sin that comes forth, it comes forth from the lameness of the horse. But God is using that sin in His providence to carry on and out His purposes in His creation. Then we see again in the example of how God is able to rule over sin, to restrain sin, or else to let it praise His own name. We see it in the life of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the one, the ruler of Egypt, that had the people of God in bondage. And God sent him a decree to let his people go. And Pharaoh said these words, Who art thou, or who is God, that I should obey him? And so Pharaoh said, I'll not have anything to do with this God. I'll not repent. I'll not let the people go. But was Pharaoh then frustrating the purpose of Almighty God? Was Pharaoh then rising up like a dam that holds back the water? Was he then stopping God from doing what God had purposed to do? No, my friend, that fool, that Pharaoh, that king of the Egyptians was only fulfilling the very purpose of God. We read in Romans chapter 11, chapter 9, and verse 17, For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Now what does the Bible have to say? Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Pharaoh thought he was frustrating the plan of God by refusing to let the people of God go, and yet he only fulfilled the purpose of God in what God had raised him up for. We see the infinite wisdom in this. 
We see that God, if He's going to be a just God and pour out His wrath upon sinners, there must be some objects upon which to pour out His justice. And one of those is a Pharaoh. And if we see that there's going to be objects, uh, if God is going to display His grace and mercy, there must be objects upon which that grace and mercy must fall. And thereby we see a Noah, we see an Abraham, finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. And yet, at the same time, we see a Pharaoh and other instruments which are raised up in order that the power of God's justice might be revealed in them. And I want to give this as a word of exhortation or reproof to any sinner here this morning which has rebelled against God's duty or His claims on your life. You say, Pastor Gables, uh, I'm going to frustrate the plan of God. I'm going to frustrate the purpose of God for me. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to refuse to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to make God look like a fool in giving His Son, and then His Son couldn't save. All right? Let me give you the other side of the picture. You get in a boat out here on a lake, and you put me behind you, and I'm going to be the duty that you have before God. And I'm going to be crying out to you, Repent, repent, repent. And you're in that boat and you're rowing. And you're saying, I'm going to get away from that preacher. I'm going to get away from him. He's not going to have anything to do with me. And so while you're rowing to get away from the goodness and the mercy of God, you're going right over the dam into God's judgment. You're not going to get away, sinner. You're not going to frustrate God's plan and His purpose. You may say, well, I'll not have anything to do with Jesus Christ. Just like Pharaoh said, I'll not have anything to do with God. And while you're attempting to get away from God, you're but falling right into the net of God's purpose in raising you up. Now, you think you try to deal with a God like that. You may deal with me however you want to deal with and frustrate some of my plans, but you'll not frustrate God's purposes. And you know where Pharaoh ended up when he thought he would? Right in the depths of the sea. That's where he did. Brother, he thought he was getting away from God. He said, I'll not let the people of God go. I'll defeat God's purpose. And in doing so, he only fulfilled God's purpose for Pharaoh. I raised thee up for this, that I might show my power and my judgment on thee among the nations of this world. So, Senator, if you're here today, I would appeal to you as a rational, moral, human being. Use your own wisdom. Even though it be darkened by your sin, use that. And when God offers mercy unto you, flee to that mercy. Flee to it, even now, through Jesus Christ. Then another great example of how God is able to use sins and the sins of men to fulfill His purposes is the greatest example of all in the Bible, and that's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. If you was, I'll ask you a question. Was the crucifixion of Christ a sin? Did Pilate and Judas sin when they nailed Jesus Christ to the cross? They most assuredly did. Was the Roman soldier sinning when he ran the spear into the side? Yes, he was. But I ask you at the same time, did God have a purpose and a plan in putting his son to death on the cross? And if you answer yes, then you see the infinite wisdom of God in the sins of men to glorify His Son on the cross of Calvary. 
You see how that God is able to ride over in wisdom and use the natural sinful hearts of His creatures doing what they want to do, and yet they are but fulfilling the eternal purposes of God in Christ Jesus. Let's give you an example of this going in the Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 4. Let's get a vision of the crucifixion scene. Now here's a mob, a mob which is set on doing what its heart desires to do. Judas has already been taken captive by Satan, but yet he's doing what his heart wants to do. He wants to be a traitor. He was already given the kiss upon the cheek of Jesus Christ, marking him out for destruction. Now in Acts chapter 4 and verse 24, after the apostles and the early believers had been persecuted for preaching the gospel, and after that they had been sentenced, they uh, salved themselves with these words. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all them is. Now see, they're looking, God, you're wise in creation. Acts chapter 4 and verse 24. But now look, they're also attributing God wisdom in his providence, in his governing of his creation. Verse 25. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth were stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. And visualize that scene. Here's Jesus Christ, the holy child, the anointed of God appearing before Herod, who wants him put to death, before Pilate, who'd say, I have nothing to do with this. Take him and do what you want to with him. With the Gentiles, the Romans, and the people of Israel, the Jewish leaders, all gathered there together to put Jesus to death. But now notice verse 28. They were gathered together for to do what thy hand, God's hand, and thy counsel, wisdom, determined before to be done. Judas, you put a kiss on there. And you'll do that freely, but you'll only be fulfilling the purpose of God. Herod, you put him to death. Pilate, you put him to death. But you remember what he said to you when he stood before you at court. You remember what he said? You cannot do nothing except it be given from you from above. He can't lay one hand on me, except God permit it to come to pass. And he shall either restrain you from touching me, or if he doesn't, he'll turn your very act of sin around to the praise of his justice in bringing you to his law court. You think you're the judge now? One day you'll come before the judge of the Creator, and you'll answer and you will not be able to say, I'll have nothing to do with this man. I'll wash my hands of it. No, you'll give an account of your actions. But do we then but see that the greatest illustration of all in the Bible, that God overrides the very sins of men in order to fulfill his purposes in grace. So that what you do today, you're going to do freely, my friend. And if it's sinful, you're going to give an account of it. But at the same time, God's going to overrule that and bring good out of it 
to the praise of his glorious grace or to the praise of his glorious justice. I say that's wisdom. I say that you and I could not have thought that up. You and I cannot say, well, I'm going to go out and rob a store in order that good can come out of it. We are not that wise. But God can even take the sins of his creatures and ride over them and bring glory unto his own name. Thou hast made all things for thyself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. So Christ's crucifixion was but a fulfillment of what the eternal wisdom of God had purposed before the foundation of the world, that he was to be a lamb slain for the sins of men. I say that's wisdom. Now then, another way in which that we want to illustrate as to how the wisdom of God is seen in his providence, and that's how it's seen in the conversion of sinners. We'll have to leave out several other points in our message today, but I do want to bring this out. The wisdom of God is seen in the conversion of sinners. Give us an illustration of this, Pastor. All right? In the book of Philemon, we have the account there of the Apostle Paul in jail for preaching the gospel. He can't go out and preach to people on the streets like he used to. Now then, he's confined within the jail. And a long way off, he has a friend. And that friend's sort of wealthy. He has some servants. One of those servants' name is Onesimus. And Onesimus was a young man, and he robbed his master of some things and run off. And so he was running away from the law. But the Roman law caught up with him. And you know what it did with him when it caught him? It put him in jail with the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul says, I have begotten him while in my bonds. That is, Onesimus, in running away from the law, ran right in to the arms of a preacher. And that preacher preached the gospel unto him. And you talk about the wisdom of God as to how this brought about. Here is a man running from the law of God only to run right into the arms of God's grace. I say that's wisdom. That's a marvelous thing. An individual fleeing and trying to get away from the law of God only to end up right wrapped up in the arms of God's marvelous grace. You think that doesn't take wisdom to know how to bring about those circumstances? You that are saved here this morning, do you think it was some strange fate or accident apart from God that you happened to go to that preaching service that night when you were converted? Do you think you just happened to stumble in the salvation? Or maybe it was out in a field somewhere and God began speaking to you or using whatever means that it was? Do you think that was some accident? It was no accident that Onesimus, in his sin, took that which was forbidden and fled from the law of God only to be put in jail and have the gospel preached unto him. I say that's wisdom. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. I look back in my own experience and I see this time and time again. I see that as a young, blaspheming atheist wanting nothing to do with God, Every argument I could muster up, I'd use against the existence and the purpose of God. And yet, you know what God did? 
He took an old country boy who'd never been to school, and he called him to preach, and he put him in my path one day. And here I had all the so-called education, I had all the answers, and this old preacher didn't have any. And as I was sitting there talking with him, and as I'd done many others trying to ridicule them, and point out contradictions in the Bible, God used that old human instrument, frail as it was, and converted my heart and brought me to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Those things, insignificant things, God uses to show his wisdom. I'm reminded of the illustration of the story of the Chinaman. I'll give this in closing. He was asked to testify at a Christian banquet. Give his testimony of his conversion. And uh, he got up and he said, Oh, it was a marvelous experience of how the Lord changed my heart. And just went on and gave all the glory to God. He sat down. And the speaker rose and he said, Well, that's very good, uh, Charlie. But uh, uh, would you come back and tell us what you did? He says, I not understand. Not understand. But we understand that God did his part, but would you come and tell us what you did in this salvation experience? He said, I just not understand what you mean. Well, just come up and tell us what you did to be saved. He said, oh, I understand. Shall we understand now? He said, I run and I run as far as I can away from God, and God run faster and catch me. That's all you did in your salvation. You were running away from God as a rebel sinner. And if God had not exercised his restraining grace and looped you about the neck and brought you to the gospel with his redeeming, drawing love, my friend, you'd still be running. You'd still be running. And you'd still be raising your fist against God as Pharaoh did and said, Who is God that I should obey him? Yes, salvation is all of God's marvelous grace. May we see the wisdom of God. If God's going to have wisdom and He's going to be a gracious God, then there's going to have to be sin present in order to reveal grace. Isn't that right? No sin, no grace. And if God's going to be a just God, there's going to have to be some sinners present to be brought to justice and tried by His Holy Spirit. And God has many attributes of love, mercy, goodness, wrath, anger. And all of these have to have an object in his creation. As we found out last week, even the ants and the spiders play some part in God's wisdom in creation. And every individual will play a part in that role. But I, on the authority of Jesus Christ this morning, exhort you as a rational human being that God gave you a mind to think with, and He gave you a heart to desire with, and He gave you a will to act with that He didn't give to the dumb beast of the earth. I appeal to you as a rational being this morning. If this God be all-wise, immutable, unchangeable, then, my friend, how do you expect to enter into His presence apart from repentance and faith in Jesus Christ? And as a rational human being, I urge you now to flee. Turn that boat around and flee to him. You say, Pastor, I can't turn it around. Then go to God and ask him to turn your heart so that you can be turned. Turn even now. Flee to him. Lest you be a token 
of that which would glorify his justice. Flee to Christ now. Why would you not be desirous of being a token of God's grace? Why would you desire to be a token of God's wrath? Flee to him now. Flee to him now in Christ. Oh, wise God, do that which is pleasing in your sight. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank you for the fact that you are the creator of heaven and earth and all that's therein. And we thank you that you have not forsaken your creation, but that even those things which would be most trying to our understanding and our reason, that you're ruling over them so that we can say with the words of the apostle, all things work together for good to them that love God who are the called according to his purpose. We believe that even now this morning that this message is for a purpose. We believe that your word will not return unto thee void and that your word has been proclaimed and that your truth has been exalted through this earthen vessel so that the glory might be in you and not in this instrument. And, Father, that your word will either accomplish that unto some in which it will be a savor of life unto life, or unto others a savor of death unto death. And that which those instruments which are designed for that purpose, may you be glorified in them today. Oh, God, how it would thrill us if there would be some heart here today that would be seeking you, and that your grace might be glorified even through the preaching of your word. And yet, Father, if there be some old Pharaoh here in the heart that still rebels and cries out, then may you glorify your justice in bringing them to their just desert. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.